Welcome to the Recession Resistant Real Estate Radio, where we talk about real estate, passive investing, business strategies, and so much more. I'm your host, Brandon Cobb, CEO of HPG Capital. Now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Recession Resistant Real Estate Radio. I'm your host, Brandon Cobb, and today I've got Dave Morgia on the show. Dave is the principal of the David and Travis Capital Group. They were formed in 2021. They have put over $47 million of multifamily real estate ownership in North Carolina and Florida since then. That is quite the run up. Dave has a background in asset management and commercial power utilities. He used that to qualify deal flow and manage the assets. Dave is also the host of the Making Money in Multifamily Real Estate Show. It's a weekly podcast focusing on multifamily investing. Dave, welcome to the show. Brandon, thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. Hey, excited to have you on today. We're going to dive into some multifamily stuff today. But before we jump into some of the good stuff we've got planned, tell everyone, you know, what are you focused on today? What do you do? And then tell us the backstory about how you got into this. Sure. So today, uh, me and my partner, Travis, writing the name right, David and Travis Capital Group, uh, we're pretty niche down and we kind of mentioned it before the show. But right now, at least as it stands, we focus on multifamily acquisitions, specifically in Orlando. Um, so we we have two deals under our belt, uh, but really the the second deal that we closed, Orlando, that we just recently did, um, 186 units. Uh, we, we look to buy in Orlando. We like the market. We understand the market. And I think what we've learned over you know the couple of years in the real estate space is if you niche down, you can find success way faster. So that's kind of our thesis there. Um, bringing back to my background, um, like I mentioned, or like you mentioned in the intro, I have a background in asset management and power utilities. So kind of have that engineering background. I'm pretty good with numbers, pretty good with business plans. Um, so I kind of handle that side of the business. I met my partner, Travis, once I moved out to New York City, where we're operating out of. Um, and that kind of brings us up to today. So commercial power utilities. I, I love the cross-pollination from different industries. It seems that everyone who gets into real estate almost always did not start in real estate. <laughs> Every time. Or parole, <laughs> came from something else. Talk about some of the skills that you took from your background in commercial power utilities and like, how did that set you up for success in the real estate world? Yeah. So I think there's like a couple things. Um, really, it's it's kind of my affinity for putting a business plan together, figuring out how to operate something, right? So uh, my day-to-day, you know, the W-2 is is trying to run a power plant. Uh, so there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of pumps, a lot of everything, really. Um, so when I look at multi or real estate, it's it's kind of exciting because it's almost uh, simpler in a weird way. It's different, but it's uh, you know it's a similar similar business plan. So you can kind of learn to to put deals together and figure out what it's going to cost to do things, what you actually want to do, and uh, put scopes together. All those types of things. Uh, the other piece of it is I I have that engineering background, always affinity for numbers and Excel nerd a little bit, if you will. So I uh, I head up the underwriting for our team, and and that's that's been a big help as well. Yeah, that's that's huge, especially when you can go into a big project like this and know how to tackle it and have some kind of background. Otherwise, it's just overwhelming. And if you know the old saying is, if you don't, uh, what is it? If you fail to plan, you or plan to fail, you fail to plan. I might have switched that up backwards, yeah. but couldn't be more true. So I know a lot of people. Underwriting is a huge 
thing in multifamily. It's very different than the residential world. It'd be quite complex. If you were, when you were just getting started, how did you go about tackling the understanding of multifamily? And then how does that underwriting look to you today? Kind of maybe walk us through your process at a high level. I know we could probably talk for hours on this subject. <laughs> I've, I've done whole podcasts on my show, several. So yeah, we won't, uh, we don't have to dive in that deep, but um, generally my start was like I mentioned, always kind of was was in Excel, enjoyed numbers in that sense. So um, I was binging podcasts, trying to figure out what all these terms meant, what all the you know assumptions were for these types of deals. Um, so I started there, and at the same time, I actually had bought in like a textbook. I don't even it's on my shelf somewhere, but uh, I, I decided to just kind of build out my own model, and and it wasn't even just to like have my own special model, but just to understand like where the numbers come from, like you know how does the arithmetic work, those types of things. So those two things kind of together, just really kind of learning the language and and figuring out how the numbers play together were were the two biggest things. It takes a lot of reps to to feel comfortable. Anybody can kind of slap numbers on it, but to uh, to know that the numbers are good and you feel confident to like put some money on the line. Um, it takes a lot of reps. So you just got to keep going at it is my advice there. Now, when it comes to underwriting, do you have a formula or a model that you use at a very high level to kind of filter out the deals that you know are not going to work right off the bat? And then if they pass that litmus test, a more detailed approach that you then dive into? Yeah. So our workflow generally um, starts with my partner, Travis. He handles like the broker relationship. So he handles the deal flow. Um, he kind of does that qualitative check, like you're mentioning. Um, what it boils down to a lot is, so we niche down in Orlando. We are very precise in knowing in the submarkets what we can get for it. So we know what we can hit uh, based on a certain uh, finish of the product, that type of thing. So if we think there's a huge uh, you know, delta on a deal or in general, if it's just a good buy, um, we kind of aim to almost hit that 1% rule really in like a roundabout way. It's it's kind of the same thing as you'd see in singular, smaller, multi. Um, it's not always that simple. So there is some kind of more napkin math that goes into it with kind of like the all-in cost. But as a general limits test, if it's like kind of getting close to 1%, yeah, I'll probably just start to look at it a little more heavily. You could probably imagine in Orlando, there's a lot of deals that probably don't even come close to that. So it's pretty easy to know right off the bat that if it's not, not really a winner. Um, but if it's kind of coming close to, you know, that check and a couple other small ones, essentially after that, I have to go in a deep dive and it's a few hours in spreadsheets just to kind of see the whole business plan uh, in full. So, okay. So 1% roll, meaning the rents need to be at least 1% of what the value of the asset is. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Okay. So great, easy way at a high level to see if this is something you should dive into. Now, um, you know, help leaving no stone unturned here. What do, what are some of the most important variables that you're looking at if it passes that litmus test and now, you know, you're doing a deep dive into it? Sure. So I always tout that the two biggest levers as far as, you know, is a deal going to be risky or not, because everything is an assumption, right? So if you're assuming things, the two biggest assumptions that can really fall by the wayside are, what are your rents? Uh, you know, what are you going to be able to achieve? Are you being way too overzealous with your rents? That's a, a huge red flag. And the other one, because uh, multi is usually a game of refinancing or selling in like, say, five years is, what is your cap rate when you're exiting this deal on the refinance or the sale? So if you're aggressive on either of those two things, those to me are the two biggest levers that can really, anybody could put you know some kind of rosy numbers on it and make a deal look good. But if, if uh, you kind of look closer and actually you know tweak them down a little bit, you'll see it's not that great a deal. So those are the ones I really look closely at. Yeah, it was amazing, you know, earlier on, you know, this year and last year, how many people were just underwriting crazy rate increases based on like inflation. Like they had no downside built into the underwriting 
whatsoever. I mean, it was amazing. How has y'all's strategy pivoted since we've had this crazy run up in interest rates this year? Yeah. So a big thing for us with the interest rates, I think, uh, well, we closed the deal. So let's, I guess, first talk about um, that deal is is really we uh, had to assume the worst. And we, you know, it heard a lot about what the Fed was going to do uh, the next year, year and a half, two years. So we had baked in a lot of those interest rate hikes as like the worst case scenario in, in the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like step one was like, we know it's going to trend this way. So we we baked in the interest rate on the loan. We baked in the cap rate that we would see as a result of that. So all that was was really already in there as the worst case because we can't uh, in good conscience like go to investors and say like, hey, we probably think it'll be okay, but uh, you know we'll see. No, we we went like worst case like here's what's going to happen if like all of the boxes get checked and and you know the Fed's coming at us real hard. So we did that right off the bat. And the second thing going back to rents, my other lever there is uh, we. You know, have a hot market in Orlando right now. It's still, I think, I mean, it changes monthly, but it's, you know, one of the top five markets for rental growth continues to do so. But we don't really bake any of that in as far as, you know, the year one, year two projections. What we'll do is we will project the value add, uh, but we won't bake in that, you know, kind of market capture of just that extra rent growth that you're seeing as a result of the market. So we only project uh, what we think we're going to get for the current market for what we turn for a unit today, basically, if that's making sense. Yeah. Now, are you focused mainly on on value add then? Yeah, that'd be correct. I mean, there's maybe a deal that we could buy at a good cost basis with uh, some small improvements, but uh, generally we like value add. It's it's usually um, putting maybe say six to 10,000 per unit in the property in some common area, stuff like that. So nothing too fancy. Yep. So you can force appreciate the value of the asset exactly. that helps yep. control it. What are some of those variables? What does that look like? You said you're underwriting for, you know, worst case scenario, a big topic everybody's talking about right now is, oh my God, we're in a recession. You know, it's going to get worse. This one's going to be bad. It seems like the news is terrible right now. What are some of those variables that you're underwriting at a worst case scenario? You know, I know interest rates are one of them. You know, like what what are you putting into your performance for interest rates? You know, what are you putting into your performance for rents? Are you factoring in a downside? Are you factoring in an increase in interest rates? If so, like how much? Yeah, so we we have, uh, so a lot of people will, will say uh, stay away from bridge debt, uh, but the market that it stands right now is actually kind of conducive for bridge debt because it's hard to get a loan that's going to make a property cash flow. Um, so we are okay with bridge debt, but there's a huge asterisk with that. And I kind of mentioned it already, but um, we had to make sure that our cap on the bridge existed. So first off, we bought like a cap on the bridge debt because we don't want this interest rate to just keep going up and up and up, which could happen with with the variable debt that bridges. Um, so we locked in that cap and then we used that highest possible interest rate. It essentially is like our fixed rate in the underwriting. So we knew like going in like, oh, at worst, it's going to be at this fixed rate at the very end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, Jerome Powell does all, all his hikes that he said he was going to do. We're going to hit this no matter what. We we assumed that. So we put that in as essentially almost like a fixed debt scenario and it's still pencils. So, you know, we we can go in feeling good that the interest rate is not going to affect us anymore. So we, we've kind of already hit it, honestly, with all the hikes. We've already kind of hit our cap and we're going to see three more and it's not really going to affect us anymore. So it, it's nice to know that we already have assumed the worst and, and still going to cash flow day one. So yeah, so you guys got a game plan. And then the next step after you got something that pencils out, you've done your deep dive on it at this next step, it's now time to raise the money for the deal. Talk to us a little bit, like what lead generation strategies are you using? What are those conversations now look like? How have the conversations changed with potential investors from, you know, a year ago to today? 
Yeah, those are those are two very different questions. So the Legion has has always, uh, it, you know, it starts with kind of your personal, um, just your circle of influence, right? The friends and family and the, you know, the professional connections you have. Um, so that's kind of relatively straightforward. I don't think there's much to speak on there. But the second circle to me is like, how can you expand that network? Um, you know, based on the people you already know, or even if it's just cold outreach uh, to, to try to figure out uh, who, who would be interested in, in what you're working on. Um, so we, we kind of, you know, do a few channels to get uh, more people in our door, if you will. Um, like you mentioned, I have a podcast that helps with, you know, some awareness to what we have going on. Uh, Travis and I host a meetup in New York City. Uh, so those are a couple of funnels that will, you know, pretty much kind of take the data and help follow through and, and do some follow-ups and see kind of what investor pulses do too. Another interesting one I'll do uh, is is I'm not super active on LinkedIn as far as posting goes, but there's a lot in the background going on through through kind of message outreach to see uh, who in professional fields adjacent to real estate, not necessarily like active in real estate, but professionals who are looking to park some money and make a return um, to see what, what their pulse or interest is on something like that. So um, all those kind of funnels come together, um, making sure we're following up consistently. That's like a big thing. You want to make sure like people feel heard or at least like you want them to know that you're thinking of them, right? You, you want to make sure that uh, they're feeling taken care of is the biggest thing for investors, in my opinion. Um, so all of that kind of boils down to our, our investor outreach strategy. So you're, you've got the podcast that you're using, the Making Money in Multifamily Real Estate Show. You're, it sounds like po- posting on, on social media and you've got some automations going on in the background on LinkedIn specifically. Those yep. two things, is there anything else that you're using uh, for lead gen besides your existing you know, friends and family network? Yeah, like I mentioned, the the meetup is a cool one. Um, that one doesn't even yield the highest like turnout for us, but uh, we kind of spoke on it uh, before we hit record. Like, it's always nice to meet in person, right? So, yeah, I don't know. We have fun with that, man. Like, we we have you know anywhere from like a dozen to 30, 40 people depending on the month and the timing of it all. But um, we meet out of um, you know right in the middle of the city where everyone can uh, kind of hang out and listen up. It's actually out of uh, the CoStar office here in here in New York, so we kind of partner with CoStar to get this together. So that's pretty cool. Um, and we just have a good time. It's it's just nice to talk shop in person. So it might not be the highest yield for us, but we get like better quality. So it maybe is in a weird way, the highest yield as far as our time goes. But yeah, that's that's another phone for us. No, making connections, automation on social media, chasing the eyeballs, creating the platform, all great ways to do lead generation. Now, talk to us about this deal that you just closed in December. It seems like everybody's complaining that they can't find deals, no deals, pencil out. Everybody's sitting on the sidelines, waiting to see what the market's going to do, waiting to see what interest rates are going to do. Why did you guys choose to move forward with this deal? And what were what was so attractive about it that made y'all continue to close it in the midst of all these interest rate hikes? Yeah, so I guess I'll go. So this was a, a long one in the work. So this just closed uh, a couple weeks ago, like right before Christmas time. Um, but really, we started penciling this deal in, uh, I want to say mid-July. It was like right around 4th of July time, actually. And I think that kind of played a part. So uh, Travis and I's thesis is always kind of the, it's better to do no deal than a bad deal approach. So uh, maybe we would have closed one uh, in Orlando before this one, but uh, we'd rather just not miss. So that's kind of our approach. So this one's been a little bit long time coming, really. Uh, but what we, we liked about this deal um, was really the timing of it. Uh, the relationship that we had with the seller and the partnership that we kind of put together to get this done. So I guess I'll kind of go through this in order, but uh, the timing of it, like I mentioned, it was July. Uh, we had just seen our first kind of couple rate hikes. If you're kind of 
rewinding time and remembering what the Fed has been doing. So those two things combined, I think if you were to talk to a lot of brokers at the time, there were some deals out there, not just ours, that were not seeing a ton of offers. Uh, so I think that played well for us. Uh, by the end of the deal, we had gotten to best and final and there was only three offers and we, in talking to the seller, really kind of realized there was only two like legitimate offers. So it was really us versus another team. So normally, even just six months ago, we would have probably been going against like six or eight good offers. So I think the market timing was like pretty nice there in that aspect. Um, as far as the seller, like I mentioned, um, talking about like outreach and podcasts, I had had the seller on my show, uh, on my podcast. So when we were, you know, starting to look up this deal, uh, I see the the owner of of the property and I go, Hey, I know the owner of that group. It's so-and-so and I won't mention names, but, um, it was just a, a really a cool connection to see that. And then B, it just helped immensely to, to kind of get to best and final and talk a little more candidly through the deal and, and really opened up a lot of doors in that respect. Um, and the last one was our partnership, which, which was a big one for us. So we are, we're still young in the game and looking at close and lead a lot of these deals, but realistically, we don't have the balance sheet for a deal this big. We don't have necessarily the experience, um, to manage a property this big. So we got a good partnership together, which we've also been, you know, doing some lead gen on trying to grow relationships with. So we have a good partnership team that's leading this deal with us. Uh, and they were obviously super excited about it as well. So, uh, if we want, we can get into numbers a little bit more, but generally, uh, you know, we we write conservatively and once we kind of hit that box we start to look qualitatively i'm like all right why does this deal make sense instead of what the numbers look like so that's kind of the takeaways there talk to us about that partnership because i think the biggest mistake a lot of people make is it you know if you're an investor and you're passively investing in a deal especially is you fail to do your due diligence on the partners you know especially in a lot of these real estate development syndications everyone's got this this sponsor facing relationship yep and they don't do any homework on the construction company, which is crazy in my opinion, because that is who's going to be able to decide whether or not this this deal pencils out. Talk to a little bit about the synergies in the partnership. You know, like why did you choose to partner with, uh, you know, make this specific partnership? How did you find them as well? Yeah, so uh, we, in the back of our minds, like we said, we always wanted to kind of go bigger, faster. So to do that, we logically said, like I mentioned, we're not going to be able to close this on our own. So we need like a, a good uh, partner that we trust that is basically five years, 10 years ahead of us, whatever you want to call it. So yeah. we had always been basically slowly growing that list. And the list is short. It's like three teams that were like, oh, we would do a deal with you today, like at that size, you know, at that type of deal. Um, so there's like one of three teams that we would consider for, for a deal like this. Um, we found this group specifically um, through a mastermind that I'm in. I'm, I'm in a like a mentorship mastermind group. Um, they are actually have, have been in the group for a long time. So we've gotten to know them over the years, you know, in person, remotely, that type of thing. Um, and we never really discussed like, oh, we want to do a deal together for sure. But it's one of those things that uh, me and Travis in the back of our minds had them as a, a partner that we would do if, if a deal kind of started to make sense. So uh, once me and Travis looked at the deal, we were like, next steps are to find the right team to put together. So we, we butted heads or put our heads together rather and, and pretty much decided on them. And there was maybe one other group we were looking at too, but really it came down to these guys and they were just excited luckily to work with us. We were with them. So it worked out pretty well. That's awesome. So it sounds like you had laid the foundation by joining these mastermind groups, being yep. around like-minded people that were in similar industries, either on the same path as you, or like you just said, five to 10 years ahead of you. And it was a perfect fit when you realized what was lacking. You said, hey, we want to go uh, further, faster. And to do that, we can't figure out how to do everything ourselves. We need a who to be able to take out this specific uh, 
department of duties and responsibilities. What was it? Was it a property management company or was it was it an acquisition company? Who who was uh, what was the branch that you were um, partnering with? Sure. Yeah. So they're they're another uh, you know like syndication firm. Um, they're they're based out of Sarasota. Uh, we like I said, we've known them for a while. So so they're doing basically they're fully integrated. They have their own PM company within their syndication group. Um, nice. They're doing the whole thing. So they are truly one of the the teams that we see that we want to be in five, 10 years, say. So um, that's another reason why we picked them is because, you know, you guys are checking all the box as far as you're doing exactly what we want to do in, in five years. So not only can we close this deal with you, but we get to learn from you too. It's like a win-win. So yeah. And it was funny. I was at a local meetup here in Nashville not too long ago. And the, the topic of vertical integration came up, you know, because our company is vertically integrated. We just don't like the idea of having to rely on somebody else because there's yep. so many risks in what we do. But it was funny. I, I spoke for a brief period of time of talking about vertical integration and, you know, when you need to add this piece and add to the business. And I think the last guy that went, he had the best advice. He goes, why not just partner with someone who's vertically integrated instead of having to go and figure out all that? And I was like, man, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. I can't imagine if I could have just circumvented everything we built and just found the right person to to partner with, with that vertical integration. Because again, it goes back to like who, not how. You can spend the years trying to figure it out like we have or go and figure, see who's already figured out and then partner with that person. So that's, that's absolutely genius there. I hope a lot of people take home what Dave just said about that. Look for the right partners that you can align yourself with, especially if they've been been around longer than you and they've already gone down that path. Uh, Dave, this has been great stuff. How can people learn more about you, learn more about your company or get in touch with you? Yeah, I think the best way is really just email. Um, but I, we have our website, davidtravis.com. I'm I'm pretty much all over social. If you if you search Dave Morja, David Morja anywhere, you'll find me. Uh, but my email is david at davidtravis.com. So um, if you email me, I'll reply, uh, whether it's you just want to get on a call or pick my brain about something. I don't love the term pick the brain, but I'm happy to share my time with people uh, as long as uh, as long as we can, you know, kind of just talk about something fun or whatever. So, uh, yeah, by any means, reach out. Um, be happy to. We'll make sure that that gets posted in the show notes. Send them an email if you're interested in getting in touch and learning more about the deals they got down in Florida, more about what they do. Uh, go to their website. I'm sure they've got some great information on there. Dave, this has been fun, man. I appreciate you coming on today. Brandon, thanks for your time. Hey, see you, man. <laughs>